Welcome, food enthusiasts, to this issue of the Future Foodcast podcast. I'm Pam Miller, your host for today, and I am very interested to hear what Mitch Cobb has to say about his businesses that he's got going on. Mitch, welcome to the Future Foodcast. Hey, Pam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. As you know, we're very interested in trends and innovation that's going on in the food space. And you have exactly both of those going on with your business. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and and how you ended up there? Sure. So um, my name is Mitch Cobb, and I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Upstreet Craft Brewing, uh, which is located uh, in Charlottetown, PEI, which is way up on the east coast of Canada. So you know, Upstreet uh, produces a line of craft beers. We make uh, craft sodas, make a line of uh, vodka seltzers called Rewind, and most recently launched a line of non-alcoholic craft beers called Libra. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we've been in business now for, for seven years, uh, you know, and we started as a lot of craft breweries uh, do. My business partner, Mike Hogan, who's our head brewer, was a, was a home brewer uh, to start, and we used to help him uh, brew beer on Sundays, and we got started talking about uh, creating our own uh, craft brewery, uh, and it kind of grew from there into something much bigger than we ever anticipated. That is very exciting. And seven years is a good track record. I mean, uh, the fact that you're still going strong and expanding. Two things that I heard in there, I mean, the craft beer itself is very popular, but the seltzers is definitely a trend that has been going on in the industry. But that non-alcoholic piece as well, can you tell us about what you're seeing in in those? Yeah. I I mean, we've seen a quite a, a big explosion, a, a, a real growth in, in non-alcoholic uh, beverages in general, but specifically non-alcoholic craft beer. Uh, I mean, this was something that we started working on back in, in 2018. And it sort of came from a place of, you know, after being in the craft brewing industry for a couple of years, you know, I had sort of hit a wall, I guess you would say I had gained 50 pounds. I was living the lifestyle of someone who owned a craft brewery and a bunch of restaurants and, you know, really wanted to start focusing on my health and wellness. And as, as part of that journey, you know, first cut back on craft beer and then, and then decided to cut out alcohol pretty much altogether. Uh, you know, and it really sort of got me thinking at that time, um, you know, what would it take to create a really great tasting non-alcoholic craft beer? You know, I still wanted to go out with friends. I still wanted to have all of that experience that, that craft beer provided, but, uh, you you know, I just, I didn't want the alcohol. So we kind of set to set about kind of doing a bunch of research and development, trying different methods of creating non-alcoholic craft beer, um, and finally landed on our own process, you know, and, and launched about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And that, and we've seen tremendous uh, growth in that category since we launched. Well, well, I can't see all of you, but you don't look 50 pounds overweight now. So I guess that was a <laughs> successful journey you went on. Yeah, it absolutely was. It absolutely was. I, I ended up losing 80 pounds, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Congratulations. So you felt like you had 50 extra, but really you had more than that and, and you're feeling good now. Yeah, I'm, I'm that's a great. great. That's a great uh, note to some of our listeners because I know uh, based on the title of this episode that a lot of craft beer enthusiasts are going to be listening in who might really like the taste of the craft beer, but in excess as you as you brought to light, uh, sometimes that can be a problem. And also the alcohol piece of that, if you wanted an alternative 
that have the same great taste, but not the alcohol in there. Uh, because a lot more people now, right, are, are wanting to go party with their friends or celebrate or watch the football game or whatever it might be without the alcoholic piece of it. Is that part of the trend that's happening? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because when we started looking at this and when we started talking to people, uh, you know, and telling them that we were going to create a, a non-alcoholic craft beer, uh, you know, we got some some funny looks, you know, and it was a lot of the same, you know, like, what's the point of that? There is a perception, you know, that non-alcoholic uh, beer was only for people who, you know, couldn't drink alcohol because they had issues with it or they had health reasons that they couldn't consume. And, and what we've really seen in the last little bit is that, you know, it's, it's really younger people kind of driving uh, the trend who, you know, are interested in their health and wellness. And it's not necessarily a, a, a complete abstinence from consuming alcohol. Um, I mean, we're really lucky that we have tap room, a tap room and, and on PEI, we sell Libra or non-alcoholic uh, beer through the liquor stores. Um, so we can kind of get some data points. And what we're finding is that it's not necessarily people coming in and choosing to abstain from alcohol, but really it's people coming in and choosing moderation. So they may come in after work and they may have a beer, but they want to stick around for a little bit. So they have a couple of non-alcoholic beers or, you know, they're coming in for the weekend and they're buying, you know, maybe a six pack of uh, Pilsner and buying a four pack of non-alcoholic craft beer. So it's really, you know, people are really using it as a, as a moderation tool that allows them to not necessarily have to consume alcohol you know, as much as they were previously. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to what I was thinking about, you know, a lot of times when I'm going to enjoy a beer, it's during some kind of sporting event that I'm watching with friends or we're going to, and I don't necessarily want to be drinking the entire two to four hours that I'm, <laughs> I'm there. And it's a great alternative to be able to mix that up. Instead of having a beer and having a water, I could have a non-alcoholic Libra instead. Uh, are there any other ingredient considerations. I know some people have trouble with beers and there are beers that are made like without the gluten, maybe there's ciders, people that have issues with some ingredients. Do, do the non-alcoholic options bring any of that to light or handle any of that? Um, our our uh, non-alcoholic beers still contain gluten. So we make them we make them the same way that we produce our regular beers. You know, the, the process is exactly the same. The length of time is the same. We just sort of make small tweaks along the way. But in terms of the ingredients, all of the ingredients are, are the same. So we are starting to experiment with uh, like gluten reduced uh, non-alcoholic beers. You know, and, and so we're, we're kind of in the early stages of exploring what that would look like. Yeah, good. I mean, it's not a big section of the market. I was just wondering what might be happening there. And I bet that's why you have such great taste is that you are mirroring the process that you've already developed that's successful for your upstreet uh, craft beers that that you've, you know, well well proven over the years to be really great. Well, talk to me about, uh, I saw as I was doing a little bit of research that you were awarded a workplace award last, about last year this time uh, for workplace excellence. And, and in the food service industry, which you're a part, uh, there's a lot of workplace issues. What do you think got you to that award and, and what's different about you? What's positive about what you're doing? What challenges are you having? Can you talk to us about that workplace culture a little bit? Sure. I mean, you know, workplace culture has always been to everything that we do. And it was really one of the driving forces as to why we started Upstreet was to create a community 
you know, in a community, you know, people who work at Upstreet, but also a community of people who come into Upstreet and, and also to give back to the community. So that's really always stayed front and center for us. In 2017, we got our B Corps certification, and I can probably talk a little bit about B Corps in a bit, but um, uh, we were the first company on PEI to, to receive the B Corps certification. And actually, we're still the only company here on P Prince Edward Island to be B Corps certified. So, you know, that has really sort of driven us to make sure that you know, workplace culture stays front and center, you know, and, and so it has been difficult, you know, especially on the restaurant side of the business, it's been extremely challenging for restaurant owners, but also for restaurant staff, uh, you know, up here in, in Canada, you know, we've been having a lot of just coming out of a, of a, of a shutdown again, you know, where our restaurants were closed down for, for two weeks, you know, and, and this is probably the time that this has happened over the last two years, as, as we're all aware. So, you know, maintaining staff has been, um, incredibly difficult, you know, and so we've worked really hard, you know, we're really lucky that we have a production side of the business. So when, when we have these shutdowns or things shift, we're allowed, we're able to kind of move people around and, and keep them employed. So we don't lose them because we certainly recognize that, um, you know, labor shortages are, are looming pretty large, you know, in terms of, of the things that we do, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we've done, you know, and it, it's not necessarily around compensation, although I think that compensation is certainly important and, and the sort of the perks of the job. But what has set us apart is our ability to include everyone and to be transparent, staff, to involve them uh, in, in the planning, to make them feel like, you know, they're really part of the company and that their, their ideas are heard, you know, that their questions are answered and, you know, that we're we're showing them along the way, you know, what we're doing and we're explaining to them why we're doing it. And um, I think that's really had a, a, a big difference in making the entire team from, you know, the, the people serving the beer or the people packing the boxes right up to the top uh, feel invested in the company and, and really believe in, in, in what we're doing. Yeah, Mitch, I think there's a lot of satisfaction for employees to not just feel like an employee, but sounds like they're part of the upstreet team. And, and that's a differentiator for you is you, you want to hear from them. You want them to be a part of it, especially during some of the challenges that we faced over the past few years, couple of years here with the pandemic and the shutdowns. What, one thing I heard you say was, you know, we try to move people around to keep using them. I know that you were able to shift, your government allowed you to shift to being um, doing the delivery of your product, which, which didn't happen before the, you know, or people could come and pick up outside of your locations. And that was a game changer for you probably during the pandemic to be able to keep things going and keep people employed. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really great example. Um, you know, when our, when our tap room closed early on in the pandemic and uh, our provincial government allowed us to start doing uh, delivery and curbside pickup, really quickly, our, our tap room turned into a fulfillment and distribution center. So all of our staff who would be serving, you know, were able to come in and, and pack orders and, and, you know, hired them on as delivery drivers and let them use the company vehicles to deliver the beer. Um, you know, and that was, um, that was huge for us. And it really, it was interesting because we had to kind of turn it over really quick. You know, we went from like, I think, oh, geez, um, you know, I think the government made the announcement on a Friday. And by like that Monday, we were up and running with an online store selling our product online. And so there was a lot of learnings and it really sort of set the stage then for us to launch our Libra online store, which isn't doesn't have the same regulations as alcohol. So we're able to ship it right across Canada, you know, and so that really kind of 
yeah, laid the groundwork for that. Right. And for all the people that we hear uh, were consuming too much alcohol during the pandemic, Libra is a great alternative to, you know, that's that's a thing that we're, we're hearing. People were shut in and alcoholic consumption went up and in some cases not in a great way. And so that that's really a, a good alternative. I'm glad you brought that in there. Uh, <laughs> can we circle back around to the B Core certification you mentioned earlier? Can you explain that to our general audience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, B Core is a certification for businesses that would be similar to what fair trade or organic uh, is to say coffee or, or fruits and vegetables, but it's a certification process that assesses your, you know, your environmental sustainability, your workplace culture, your supply chain, as well as uh, how you give back to the community. So it really uh, digs deep into a lot of areas of your business. And, and basically, you know, they're I guess tagline is is using business as a force for good. So you know it's really sort of assessing that you're you're know that you're using your business in the right way to uh, pursue kind of a triple bottom line. Okay. Well, two things you mentioned there we haven't really talked about. The first one is sustainability. What did they evaluate there? What makes you B Corp certified worthy in the sustainability category? Yeah. So, uh, so the way that the certification process is set up, it's based on a 200 point uh, system and to achieve a B Corp status, you have to uh, achieve 80 points in like a broad section of, of categories. The way that the questions are worded, it's sort of like as a baseline, you know, what are you benchmarking, you know, and, and are you benchmarking your water usage? Are you benchmarking your um, electricity usage? Are you, you know, do you have a product life cycle and understand the CO2 emissions from your products? Um, it kind of goes from there in terms of, you know, what are you doing to re reduce those things and have you achieved any sort of environmental certifications? So it kind of is like quite in depth, but, you know, I mean, in terms of what, um, you know, what we're working on, you know, we're definitely bullfrog power. So we're hundred percent green energy. We are donating all of our spent grain to local farmers. We're working on a program to start reducing our water now that we have good kind of benchmarking data. Um, and that was really as a, as a new company for us, that was really the biggest challenge, you know, as a startup was trying to benchmark, benchmark the and, and see, you know, figure out how, what we are doing uh, in order to start making improvements. So uh, now that we've got that, we're really kind of diving in on. Yeah. And that's a good point. Even, even paying attention to what your current practices are, what your current usages are. So then you can make some informed decisions about how you might want to modify that is what I'm hearing you say. And, and yeah. that B Corps certification wants to know that you're doing that. Exactly. I imagine benchmarking, that would be an issue. You have to have a little bit of history behind you to figure out what you're doing. Uh, so then you can make some changes. Uh, how about the supply chain section of that? What about that? Supply chain is in the news these days, as you know, in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, supply chain everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it looks at a number of different things from a, a supply chain perspective. We look at the percentage of our raw ingredients and packaging material that comes from within a certain radius where we're located. And then it sort of expands out, uh, you know, so there's always sort of a drive to try and, and uh, purchase uh, our supplies from, from local suppliers. It also looks at, you know, the percentage of our suppliers who are owned by uh, women or minorities, which is great. Uh, it also then uh, goes even further than that, uh, you know, and every year we do a supplier survey 
to see, you know, what sort of third-party social and environmental certifications our suppliers have, you know, are they doing quality assurance audits on a, on a yearly basis? Um, are they benchmarking their energy usage? Um, all of the things that we're held to account to, we also need to check with our suppliers as well. Okay. So you're, you're kind of creating an entire ecosystem of companies who care is what I'm, is what I'm hearing and, exactly. and sourcing locally is, is a priority. So you're supporting your local economies uh, that are in your surrounding area. I think that's all really good. Do you have issues with getting any of your source materials for your products right now? We haven't run in too many problems. I think the biggest issue that we have faced in the last year is Certainly, uh, you know, price increases uh, are, are affecting everyone. But also, you know, we've had to be, which is maybe a good problem to have, as they say, um, we've had to be much more organized and we've had to sort of lock in contracts for our hops and, and malt and cans uh, much earlier in the year. So, you know, traditionally when we would be doing those things in the fall and putting together a forecast for the next year and reaching out to suppliers, we really had to do it in like June or July. So, you know, that's proved challenging for a small company that's growing really quickly with a lot of different products to try and forecast eight months out what we're going to be doing the following year. Um, but it was also a really good exercise for us and got us probably more organized than we would have been previously. Right. And it's all a process being a, an entrepreneur, right? And getting everything laid out. And, and hopefully as you move forward, you just, it's an iterative process. So now you've gone through that and, and you know, you, you'll see what happens with that forecasting to be able to do it better the next time. Right. And that's, exactly. that's all about the learning. So yeah. what else do we need to know about Upstreet? craft brewing. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> that big open-ended question. What else do you want us to know, Mitch, that our audience would enjoy or that you just want us to know about Upstreet? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've, we've touched on our, our workplace culture. I think that, you know, again, kind of circling back to that whole idea of community, you know, and this is something that's been a big piece of our conversation more recently, because up until, you know, very recently, we were a much more, I would say, regional brewery on the Atlantic, uh, on the East Coast of Canada, you know, and our community has expanded quite a bit, you know, and community has always really been something that's important to us. So we donate 10% of our, our profits back into community organizations. You know, we host a lot of community events, we do a lot of work in the community. So the conversations we've been having more recently is as our community grows, you know, across Canada, how do we re redefine what our community looks like. And I, I really feel like, you know, that's one of the things when we look at what makes Upstreet special is, is how people feel, you know, not just our employees, but our, our customers and the whole community in general feel so invested in, in what we're doing. So, you know, how can we take that and, and translate it right across the country? Well, that's exciting to have those, those loyal customers that really want to work with you and expand your reach and figure out how to best do that. Like you said, as that customer base expands uh, and with your ability to ship, especially your non-alcoholic beverage to further locations, uh, that that's going to continue to be something that you'll be figuring out as you go forward. Workplace culture seems to be one of the things that really makes Upstreet stand out, uh, but also the breadth of your products. You've got 
several different product lines. And it sounds like moving in popularity, uh, you're growing so fast. And I hope that you're challenged with your future forecasting <laughs> in a positive way. Maybe you totally miss it because you've outgrown it and, and you have to do more. But in any case, Mitch, I really appreciate you being on the Future Foodcast with us. Thank you for sharing about Upstreet Brewing. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 